You are listening to the weekly podcast of City Church Orlando, located just off of 1792 at 650 Airport Boulevard in Sanford, Florida. Our website, OrlandoCityChurch.com. The convicted soul that confesses and forsakes their sins realizes true happiness and experiences the joy of God's grace and deliverance. Today we'll be going over Psalms 32 and David's accounts of true happiness. Our scripture text comes from Psalms chapter 32. Today's message is entitled Pursuits of Happiness. David was a worshiper. He loved to worship. In the Bible, the way that we worship, the reason we have guitars and all this kind of instrumentation is because 3,000 years ago there was a man who was named David who was passionate for God. And the Lord taught him how to worship. The Lord taught him. He said as a shepherd boy, he'd sit on a hillside and he would write songs. And it was his way of expressing his love to God. His devotion to God was through writing these songs. And if you read the Bible, you will see that in a a place that David built called the tabernacle, it was a tent, David built the place that housed this thing called the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God. You've seen the movie, Relators of Rust Ark, or whatever, you can kind of identify but it was more than that. It was the place where God, whenever, whenever David built this place, it was the place that was dedicated for the worship of God. And in this place, they would have huge choir, huge choir, and they were called Levites. These people could actually sing, <laughs> not like me. They wouldn't let me in their choir. And they had string instruments, they had horns, they had lyres, they had, they had all these kinds of instruments, and and they would worship God with their music. And the worship and the music of God would go 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They just worship. They believe in worship because it was in the presence of God that they found victory over all their enemies. And David delighted in God. He delighted to worship God with all of his heart. David did worship. When David danced, it wasn't one of these little, you know, we do like this. David, the Bible says when David, he was king, he took off his kingly robe. And he got down, he began to worship, and he just began to twirl. That's literally... To worship literally means to twirl. That's what literally it means. He twirl and he dance. The dance of victory. The psalm, the psalm, my message in Tylersburg is the pursuit of happiness. And the pursuit of happiness is a great quest in the human endeavor. But our human tendency is to look for happiness outside of the presence of God. We look for happiness outside of the presence of God. And in this psalm, Psalms chapter 32, this is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to read through a psalm. It's called the Psalm of Moschel. It's the, it's the 32nd psalm. It's one of seven of David's penitent psalms. David wrote songs of penitence. In other words, God had a plan for David. God had a great plan. He, son of Jesse, he was anointed out of all of his brothers to become king. And he became king, the most powerful king of Israel's history. He was the greatest leader. The greatest leader. He loved a passionate life. He was a great warrior. He was a great warrior. And God had plan A for David's life. But David messed it up. David didn't just live plan B. He didn't just do plan C. David didn't just do plan D. David did plan F. Plan F. (laughs) He failed God. Miserably. Miserably failed God. And this psalm was written, the psalms, the 32nd psalm was written as a response of David's brokenness before God. And he literally lays out a path. He literally lays out a pattern of how to find true happiness in your relationship with God. 
He takes us from highs, He takes us to a low, and then He finishes back on a high. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Psalms 32, verse 1, it says it like this. A contemplation of David. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whom whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groanings. Listen, through my groanings all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. And then there's this word, Selah. Everyone say Selah. Have you ever like read something in the Bible you had no idea what it meant? So you know what you do when you read something you don't know what it means? You just skip on over it. Selah was a musical pause. It was a musical pause. David, because he wrote this psalm, he knew this psalm from memory. David didn't have to read this psalm. This song was birthed out of David's heart and relationship with God. And he gets to this part. He's talking about happy is the man, blessed is the man. Then he talks about, he's looking back, he's recounting the hand of God that was upon him. And he says, Selah. Selah was a musical pause, a poetic pause. They were to stop. They were to stop reading. And then the musicians would start to play. And the congregation would just begin to think about their life. They begin to think about coming into the presence of God. And that's what we're going to do right now. I want you to just begin to think about your life this week. I want you to begin to think about what happened. I want you to begin to just begin to recount your ways and your steps before the Lord, what's happened in your life. I want right now the, the worship team is just going to begin to play. And we're going to take a Selah moment. We're going to pause before the God of heaven. We're going to allow His Holy Spirit to search our hearts. Can we do that right now? Let's just take a moment. Let's take a moment. Allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart today. Lord Jesus, we love you. Then he says, I acknowledge my sin to you. Listen, let's look at this. Look at this. This transgression here. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I mean, David was looking back and looked at his failure. He, he did what so many have done. He lived for the moment. He lived for the moment for his feelings. He, he saw a woman. He was a king. He was supposed to be out to battle. And he's looking out over his rooftop, and he sees a woman, Bathsheba, and she's bathing. She's in the nude. And he begins to lust in his heart. Listen, so many people live in the moment and they miss, they miss God's plan A. This is exactly what happened to David. David did what he wasn't supposed to be doing. He was looking at what he wasn't supposed to be looking at. And he fell into the the same trap that's happened to men for thousands of years. They they commit sexual immorality. Bam! David's recounting this and he starts thinking about the mercy of God. He says, oh God, I finally acknowledge my sin to you, my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Oh, that sense, that sense of being cleansed emotionally and spiritually from our wrongdoings and our failures. Selah. We're going to wait on God's presence right now. Come on, just take just a moment and allow the Spirit of God. Right now, just begin to search your heart. Come on, we're just thanking Him for His goodness. He forgives us. From all of our sins and iniquities today. All of our trespasses against Him. He cleanses us. Male and female. He cleanses us today. Oh God. Holy Spirit of God. Do it only you can do. 
Hallelujah. Oh, we worship you. We worship you. This is Selah moment. It's the moment. this cause everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found surely surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him you are my hiding place you shall preserve me from trouble you shall surround me with songs of deliverance wants to surround you with songs of deliverance. There's something powerful about the presence of God in this moment. The Spirit of the Lord is here in this moment. The God of heaven wants to sing songs of deliverance and victory over your life. And maybe you're here today and you've got a situation in your life. You need victory. You need God to do something in your life. I don't know what the need is. There are people, maybe you've got a physical need in your life. Maybe you've got a spiritual need. Maybe you've got a relationship that's broken with a spouse or with a, a child. Maybe you have a problem at work, a situation that you just haven't been able to get victory on. You've done a lot of talking about it, but right now God wants to sing songs of deliverance over you. Maybe the, you've been looking for a job and you've hit a wall and nothing seems to be working in your life right now. God wants you to know He wants to sing songs of deliverance over you. David said, you are my hiding place. We're going to begin to sing this song right now. And if that's you, you need someone to pray for you. We love to pray at City Church. You need prayer this morning. Can you just lift your hand towards heaven? You're in the room right now and you need prayer. I see back here. Anyone else? Come on. Just lift your hands right now all across this room. Come on, all across this room. You need God to move in your life. Come on, let's begin. This is where the healing begins. In the presence of God. At the cross, it's at the path of repentance. The psalm that we read this morning was a psalm of repentance. It was from the heart of a man who had had great failure in his life, made huge mistakes. But he discovered that there was a pathway back to healing. The fact is, if you've been a Christian, if you're born into this planet, the Bible says you're a sinner. Every person born on this planet is a sinner in need of a Savior. And David's experience with God was really, what he lays out for us is the pursuit, the pathway to true happiness in life. We're a culture that's awashed in a pursuit of happiness. There's a human quest and a human desire in every person. Tonight is Super Bowl Sunday, and people gather all over the planet. A billion people are going to watch the game. And there's going to be some sense that people are looking, you know, people that are Steelers fans. Steelers, come on. About four people. Second service, they were Steelers fans. Packers. Yeah, about the same. Nobody's a football fan. Cheeseheads. But just the atmosphere, the parties, and those kinds of things. People searching for that sense of happiness and longing and fulfillment. And welcome to the happiness frenzy of the 21st century. In the year 2000, there were 50 books that were written on the topic of happiness. Listen, in the year 2000. Eight years later, in the year 2008. 2008, there were 4,000 books 
written on the topic of trying to find happiness. We are awash in a culture that's searching for happiness. But something is amiss. According to some measures, as a nation, we grow sadder and more anxious during the same years that this happiness movement has flourished. Our college students sign up for positive psychology lessons in droves. And a full 15% of college students report being clinically depressed. Same issue is that true happiness, this issue of true happiness, is why people find themselves in a psychology office. 10% of Americans today try to find that sense of inner peace through some kind of pill. 10% of people look for happiness and fulfillment through some kind of bottle. It's never found in a bottle, never. Whether it's a pill, whether it's alcohol, whether it's whatever, it's never found in a bottle. It's never found in a babe, guy or girl. It's never found in another person. And it's never found in a beachfront experience. <laughs> Some people are like, just go to Tahiti. If I could just go to the islands, no problem, Lamont. You know, you go to Jamaica, you go to Trinidad, you go to Barbados, you go to Barbados. I remember landing in Barbados, and you get off the island, and you're walking, and everything's no problem, man. Everything's no problem. Little ganja, no problem, man. A little bit, you know, you want this, no problem. And the fact is, the fact is it'll never be found in those experiences. See, for the Christian, the problem is this, the pursuit of happiness apart from a life fully sold out to God leaves us a slave to our cravings. Chasing one experience after the next and never attaining the golden rung of happiness. This journey that we followed David on this morning, this Psalms, the 32nd Psalm, is one of the most powerful Psalms because David really takes us on a journey. He first starts off, he says, happy. The word blessed in the Hebrew literally means to be happy or to find God's favor. That's literally what the term means. Blessed. When you read blessed is the man, the word means to be happy. Happy is those or he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed or happy is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Look at these three words that David uses. He first uses the word transgression. The word transgression literally means something that's contrary to God's ways. It's passing a boundary, rebellion, a revolt against God. David passed the boundary. He passed the boundary that God had set in his commands. Thou shalt not commit adultery. David passed. He blew right through that boundary. He transgressed against God. And then he says, Blessed is the man in whom the Lord, who has sinned, God doesn't, that, that God covers. Happy is the man whose sin is covered. This word sin is the most commonly used word in the Old Testament. It literally means to miss the mark. It just you're off just a little bit. You're off just a little bit in your thinking. You're off just a little bit in your attitude. You're off just a little bit in your actions. You're off just a little bit in relationships with your kids. You, di- you didn't say that right. You, you responded out of anger. You reacted instead of responded to somebody. You're just a little bit off that sin. It could be sins that you don't even know, but they could be willful sins. Maybe not one of the big ten, but in your heart you know that it's, a, it's wrong. It's not the right direction. And then he says, happy is the man whose iniquity God has not held against him. The word is imputed. It, means, it doesn't mean that, it means that God didn't hold it 
against them. Happy is that man. Iniquity. It's the perverse behavior that David engaged in when he defiled God's word by looking out from his rooftop on a naked woman, a woman who was not his wife. The great challenge for a generation that's awash in sexual sin that we live in today, the great challenge for every person in the room is not to experience iniquity in our heart. Last night, I'm pulling up a little video, pulling up this video to show today, and, and I'm, I'm on YouTube, and I mean, as soon as I pull up YouTube and I type in, actually, I typed in birthday songs for my wife, the best happy birthday songs, and I typed in happy birthday, and there was this, you know, on the top of the screen, there's some movie trailer, and it's a girl in a bikini. I mean, it, you're just, it's right there in your face. It's the very first thing that you see. I mean, you can't, you drive down the road, the billboards everywhere you go. Not just for men, but for women also. This culture awash in sensuality. David found himself going down this pathway. He failed. Big failure. And he begins to talk about this failure. And what God did, he said, God forgave me. God covered me. God didn't hold it against me. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, he'll remember my sins no more. God's mercy endures forever. Spurgeon noted this. He said, three words for sin. Notice the three words for sin. He said, there is a three-headed dog at the gates of hell. But our gracious Lord has stopped the barking dog of hell forever in your life. Oh, someone ought to say amen. He does not this not by some ceremonial act, not by some ritualistic kind of form or some ceremony of worship. He does it for a heart that's pursuing Him. A heart that's pursuing Him. He actually lays out the path and the pattern. David came to a place. David came to this place. See, he tried to hide it. He tried to hide it, tried to cover it, tried to pretend like it wasn't there, just kind of live on. It's not that big of a deal. Everyone does it. Everybody cheats on their taxes a little bit. I mean, everybody takes the pens from the, my employer. Everybody does it. Everybody cheats at school a little bit. I mean, whatever. Whatever excuses we make. It's not until we acknowledge our sin that we've sinned. We're not blaming it on anyone else. David, he finds himself, when he's thinking about it, he remembers how sad he was. He actually talks about this countenance that he had. He walks through the trail. He says, when I kept silent, when I, didn't, when I tried to put it behind me, I tried to, you know, just push my conscience to the background. He says, my bones grew old. He felt it inside. Through my groanings all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality has turned into the drought of summer. Think about that. Think about it in your life. Maybe in your life, you've run into a spiritual drought. It just doesn't seem to be working. You ever wonder why? You want to blame the devil and blame your boss and blame your spouse. You all these other things, and maybe it's God doing something in you. Maybe the problem that you're experiencing in your life, yeah, you know, there's all kinds of reasons why things happen, but maybe it's God doing something in your life. You see, the Lord's discipline is often ignored in the life of the believer. Often ignored. That's someone else's problem. But when David finally acknowledged, he finally acknowledged that I have sinned, 
when he recognized that the discipline that was taking place in his life, that sense of spiritual dryness, prayer is not going any farther than the ceiling, wondering why this thing isn't working. David finally said, it's me, God. The heavy hand of God was upon him. He expresses the pain of sin. You get depressed. You get discouraged. Leads to depression. You just follow down this cycle of despondency, despair. I kept quiet. My groaning all day long is my vitality. I lost my vision. I lost my sense of faith. So I can tell you that this is where plan B is lived out. Plan B is lived out in your life when you come to this place. Say, God, acknowledge that it's my sin. God never intended for David to sleep with Bathsheba. He never intended for that sin to take place. That was not God's plan. God's plan for you was not to end up in that person's bed before you got married. That wasn't God's plan for you. It wasn't God's plan. It's not just about sexual sin here. There's all kinds of things that we do that are not part of God's plan. But God was able to take David's mess up and he was able to turn it into a message of grace and of hope. But it happened because David was a busted man. Literally, the Bible says, look what he says here in verse I acknowledge my sin to you. David's part. I acknowledge my sin to you. When he wrote the 51st Psalm, probably the most famous Psalm that David ever wrote, he said, God, my sin is against you, and against you only have I sinned. My God, I acknowledge today, when we take full responsibility for our lives, is when the happiness begins, is when the joy begins, it's when the victory starts to work in our life, it's when the Christian walk starts to really work. When it really starts to work, we realize that it wasn't what someone else did to me. But it was my heart, my life, that chose to go the wrong path. The Bible says he, he confessed it. He exposes the cloak of his selfish, carnal, wicked ways. The love of sex. Looking upon a naked woman who was not his. And then slithering down into the cowardice path of abuse and power and murder. That's where it led him. That's where it led him. He was king. He was a great military leader. He was in command of armies that crushed their enemies. Because God's favor, God's victory was on his life. Finds himself slithering down to this abuse of power. And his servant, a man by the name of Uriah, who was married to Bathsheba, sent him to the front line. Bam! Uriah is killed. Now David is a murderer. Not only is he an adulterer, now he's a murderer. Most of us in this room, we've never stooped that far. You know the natural tendency to say, well, I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Jesus, he erases all the stuff of the Old Testament. He says, listen, if you just look in your heart, you look on that internet picture, and you lust in your heart, you sin against them. Ooh, ouch. Ooh. You have committed that same very act in the Spirit against that individual. Ooh. Ow. He confesses his transgressions. I've sinned against God. You see, God's part. God forgave the iniquity of his sin. The Holy Spirit took the surgeon's scalpel of God's mercy and he cut through the hardened artery of iniquity and wretchedness 
of that three-headed devil. His confession opened the door so the antiseptic of the soul, the cleansing blood of Jesus could cover, comfort, and wash him completely clean. The Lord declares, I am He who blots out your transgression for my sake, and I will not remember your sins. See, He wasn't a king any longer. Wasn't the son of Jesse any longer. Wasn't a great brother. No, 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 no. He finally came to the point where he realized that he was a sinner who needed a Savior. He was a sinner. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and so are you. When we come to that place, like that song declares, and we start to live in that place of brokenness before God on a daily basis, it's where Christianity starts to work. Up until that point, it's just a form. My greatest concern about this church, and this visitation and this move of God, what God's doing in our church right now in this hour, my greatest concern is that worship and the singing and the praises of God just becomes a perfunctory duty, something that we do to kind of warm up the service. We become professional religionists. We sing songs, and the whole time we're singing out the wall, we're thinking about what we're going to do after church or who we're going to talk to about this activity. And the moment, the moment of God's activity right here, This is where the healing begins. Passes us by. We become professional religionists. See, the litmus test for you and I today, for the true child of God, is that we are forgiven from our sins, and we know it. We know it. We are truthful. We are truthful about who we are. We are honest. We are simple. And we are childlike. That's our litmus test. Simple faith. Simple trust in God. The Master has spoken. Peter declared. He said, what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of Jesus. (laughs) You see, God became David's hiding place. God became David's. You are my hiding place. Not everybody's hiding place. Not everybody runs to God when they goof up. A lot of people, when they goof up, they still want to blame everybody else. (laughs) You go to any prison. You go to Seminole County Prison right down the street here. And let me tell you, there's a lot of people who are completely innocent. They'll tell you, it wasn't my fault. I didn't do it. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Maybe some are, but there's a whole lot can't come to grips. That it was their sin. It was their choices. The path that they were following that led them to that place. And as long as you live like that, you're trapped in prison. You're enslaved to the enemy. You're enslaved to the enemy. God became his hiding place. He preserved him in time of trouble. He surrounded him with songs of deliverance. David could hardly move. He goes, Selah. He could hardly move beyond this experience. You see, it's in the place of God's presence that victory comes. Every man throughout history, every woman throughout history who's known God has known that it's in the place of the pause. It's the place of the moment that the victory is won. The battle is won and lost in the presence of the Lord. In the presence of the Lord, there is victory in the presence of God. See, you come to church on Sunday morning, you worship, and you get your spirit built up so that you can go back out there and fight the good fight of faith. That's why we worship the way we do. 
That's why some people don't understand it. They think we're weird. That it's weird. What are you doing? I don't understand it. But the reason that we do it because we understand that it's in this moment that the victory isn't won in the middle of the battle. The victory is won way before we ever get to the battle. Moses knew it. Moses knew it in the presence of God. He knew the very presence of God. He was at a burning bush, and God comes to him and says, Moses, Moses, take off your shoes. I am that I am. And if you follow me and you do what I tell you, I'm going to give you victory. I'm going to use you to lead my people out of 400 years of slavery. Moses couldn't do it. But Moses knew that the God that was speaking to him, the God of his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he could do it. Moses comes up to the Red Sea. It's impossible. How does it happen? How does it happen that waters part wide open and three million people walk across? Not across a bridge that some man built. I mean, not across kind of murky, muddy water. But the Bible says that when the children of Israel started marching across the water, they walked on dry ground. And when they got to the other side, Miriam, his sister, broke out the tambourine. And they began to do a shout. They began to do a song. They said, the horse and the rider have been thrown into the sea. The Lord my God, He is God. He is victor over all my enemies. And the people begin to shout. You see, Joshua knew it. Joshua knew that it was the presence of God. He knew that it was in the moment waiting on God. Joshua, successor to Moses, is called to take him all the way to the promised land. Out of Egypt, into the promised land. Moses didn't get that privilege. Joshua was going to do it because he believed. He believed in the moment that God could give him instruction and give him victory. He believed. No one else believed, but but Joshua believed. Joshua comes up, crosses over. He's on his way. He's conquering cities. He's doing what God's called him to do. He's living a victorious life. He's healthy, happy, holy, humble, faith-filled, fun-loving, born-again Christian. He's living that life. He comes up to Jericho. What does he start to do around Jericho? The Bible says that he starts to march around Jericho. And you know he's a smart guy. He said, man, this is the pattern. Victory comes from the presence of God. So he puts the worshipers. He puts the musicians. He puts the people who can blow the trumpet. He puts them out in front, and they begin to blow. They begin to, they, they go around seven, you know, seven days. On the seventh day, they go around seven times, and then they start to blow the trumpets, and the Bible says, and the walls came tumbling down. Why? It was the presence of God. It was faith in the God who sees the hearts and hears the cries of His people. It was that presence. Men and women of God throughout history have found that the victory comes in the moment. You see, it was when David was on a hillside and he was writing songs and singing to the Lord and taking care of sheep that he discovered the power of awesome God. He discovered it was in that moment. It was in that moment. Because when a lion came down, David killed the lion as a 17-year-old boy. When a bear came to try to steal one of his daddy's sheep, the Bible says that David went down and he took that bear and he ripped open his mouth. And whenever David was confronted out as a 17-year-old boy against a 10-foot giant, a mammoth of a man, David said, listen, the God who was with me, the God who enabled me to kill the lion and the bear, that God will enable me to kill you, to take you down. You see, come on, amen. David knew that it was God. He knew his faith and confidence in God would give him victory. Oh, David, he sings. He starts, he, in that moment, in that moment, he's leading the choir. 
in the temple and they're worshiping. The choir's singing, the musicians are playing. You can hardly move beyond that moment. And it was in that moment that God speaks to him. Speaks to him and he says, I, I will instruct you. Look at three things. God says, I will instruct you. Three things over and over and over. You know, he's going to forgive. He's going to cover. He's not going to hold it against you. He talks about the three kinds of sins and three kinds of forgiveness. And, and then he talks about three things that God's going to do. I will instruct you. I will instruct you. You know, Christianity is not a formula. It's just everybody wants a formula. They want a simple path. It's not a formula. It's not a formula. It's a walk of faith. I will instruct you. And then he says, I will teach you. I will teach you. And I will guide you in the way that you should go. For every person in this room, God, he wants to instruct you. He wants you to listen to his voice, to his spirit. He wants you to hear him today. I mean, <laughs> for some people, it's just like, you've got to be kidding me. They just can't, you know, but today the Holy Spirit, in this moment, he's speaking to you. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He reveals that to us. He instructs us. Where you really need God is not inside this building. You need God in here. We love to worship God and experience it, but where you need God is in your job. Where you need God is when you're sitting at school and you're being tempted to look over your neighbor's shoulder to cheat on a test. Where you really need God is in the office when, man, you could kind of say that about that other employee and make them look in a negative light. That's where you really need God. Where you really need God is as a mother and you're trying to figure out how to control your kids, how to direct them in the right way. He said, I will instruct you. That's where you really need God. Mama, you need God to teach you how to be a better mother. Daddy, you need God to teach you how to be a better father. How do my kids now? They're grown. I can't control my 20-year-old. I mean, my kids are 15 and 20. It's beyond me controlling them. You know what happens as a parent? As you older your kids, the more you try to control them, the more they just kind of resist. It's the natural tendency. Everybody wants to be free, experience life for themselves. Fact is, God says, I will instruct you. I will teach you. Businessman, the Holy Spirit wants to teach you how to be a better businessman. The Holy Spirit. Mother, the Holy Spirit wants to teach you how to be a better mom. Young person, the Holy Spirit wants to teach you how to be. He wants to help you get better grades. He does. He wants you to, be, he wants you to get victory in every of your life. I will lead you, guide you. I will instruct you along the way. I begin to read this verse and I say, oh man, God, look what you did for David. Look what you did in his life. David said, in that moment, in that moment, I said yes to God. I allowed God to forgive me. I allowed God to, to cover me. And then, because of that, I can worship. I can really worship. If you're goofed up inside, if inside you got broken relationships in your family, inside you got broken relationships on your job, if inside you got things that are not quite right, it's really tough to worship. You'll come into a worship experience like this, and it'll just, just it'll bypass you. If your relationship with God isn't right, you won't even feel it. There are people that walk into a building like this and don't even feel anything. Other people are bawling, crying. Wednesday night, I come into the youth service, and the worship team, the band is up here, and they had a God night, and the lights were out, and kids, I mean, the altars are full. And I just stood in the back, and 
there was a bunch of kids who weren't feeling it. And I said, well, the best place to tell them, they might not be getting it now, but at least they're seeing people. I mean, you know, guys are trying to hit on the girls, and girls are trying to hit on the guys, and you know, doing every youth group across the world. You know, the players are playing. Well, the players are playing. The Spirit of God is just touching people's lives. Why? Why does God touch this person? Why does this person experience it and feel it and believe and find victory, and this person doesn't? Because this person over here didn't deal with it. When God came in the moment, they did just like the mule. Just stiffen their neck. Hey, hey, mother preacher, preach too long. My God, it's already hour and 15 minutes in this place. What you get out of here? In this moment, in this moment, songs of deliverance have been sung. The victory is for you. Come on, it's good. Broke that was broken off my wrist. Listen to what he says. Be glad in the Lord. <laughs> Be glad in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Rejoice in the Lord. Always. Everyone say always. Oh, I don't feel like, you know what, there are times I don't feel like rejoicing. I'm squabbling with my wife. I don't want to rejoice. Come on. But that's when I need to do it. Broken relationships will hinder, keep you from the sense, the presence of God. And that's what we want to be. A sense of awareness. And the reason we come to church on Sunday, it's not a duty thing. It's because we just need that encounter one more time. One more time. Rejoice in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice you righteous. Rejoice, you righteous. Righteous. To be in right relationship with God. That's what it means to be righteous. Shout for joy. <laughs> At Texas Stadium. Texas Stadium, there'll be a lot of shouting going on over a little pigskin running up and down the field. Isn't that right? I mean, people, cheeseheads, people from Wisconsin got no shirts on. It's 40 degrees outside. And they got a great big cheese block on top of their head. And they're cool. Come on. Hey. Hey, give me another one. A lot of shouting going on. And at the end of the shout, they got nothing left. They wake up. Where did I park my car? How did I get here? Who am I with? Come on. But the righteous... The righteous in the Lord can be glad and they can shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory for our Lord Jesus Christ. You today are created by God. You are created no matter what happened. Maybe you feel like, well, I'm in plan F, man. This was, you know, I messed up and I don't care. Today is a new day. Today is, this is the day the Lord hath made. Maybe you're on it. Maybe you're not. you just need a reminder today that when you sin and you will sin, it, guys, run back to God. Run back to God. It's really the key. Re- running back to God. Refuse to cover it up. Be quick to repent. Wives, be quick to repent. Husbands, be quick to repent. Mess up with your kids. Be quick to repent. Ask them for forgiveness. I'm sorry. Didn't say that right. I've had to do it many times. I'm passionate. 
say things quickly. How to do it with people on my staff, my team. Refuse to cover up your sin. Because when you cover it up, your heart starts to get hard. When you cover it up, and it's not my fault, and they need to get it right, and it's their wrong, boom, hardness of heart. Refuse. Run to God. This is the key. Last week, we talked about the prodigal. He returned home. And it wasn't until he took that step, the father opened up his arms and welcomed him home. Don't allow negative, wrong thinking to dominate your mind. You make a choice. Wrong images, wrong thoughts, wrong conversations. You had that conversation, you're going to say this. Somebody said something to you, and you can't believe they said it, and you didn't deal with it right then. You're laying on your bed, and you're thinking about all the things you're going to say to them. (laughs) Oh, come on. We're hitting home. I'm going to say this and this, and I'm going to fix that and this and this. (laughs) That's wrong thinking. What sort of things are good? What sort of things are lovely? What sort of things are good report? If there be any virtue, if there be any praise. Think on these things. 50% of marriages don't end in divorce because people are thinking on the right things. Don't allow your mind down that trail. Stop it. The power of the Holy Spirit is in you. You are carriers. The Spirit of Christ... What happened in this room this morning was because 2,000 years ago, David's plan F became God's plan A. 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago when David sinned, it was a failure. But he got it right. He ran back to God. He acknowledged. He confessed. He dealt with it. He allowed God's discipline to come into his life. And God, out of that union and relationship that David had with Bathsheba had not one son but two sons the first son died the second son was born was named Solomon the Bible says that God appeared to David and to Solomon and he said to them he said you will always have a son you will always have a son sitting on my throne You begin to fast forward through the trail of human history. I want you to know, David's plan F became plan A when God revealed Himself through His Son, Jesus. And when Jesus walked on this planet, the people cried out, Jesus, Son of David. You see, David's plan F became God's plan A. David meant it for evil. God turned it for good. In your life, your mess-ups, If you get it right with God, He can take your plan B, C, and D, and He can turn it. Romans 8, journey 8, 28 says, All things work together for good for them that love God and are called according to His purpose. You're never going to do it all right, but you can do it with the right heart, and that is to run back to God. Refuse to allow your mind to go down that negative trail, unbelief, wrong thinking. And then rejoice in the Lord. <laughs> rejoice. I want you to close your eyes right now. Please, we've got just a couple of moments. These services aren't that long. Man, these services are not that long. And I know some they feel like you've got to go, but please, just to honor the people that are sitting here that God's speaking to, just take just a moment. The Holy Spirit is speaking to hearts today. That's the presence of God that gives us victory, allows us to rejoice. 
shout unto the Lord, all those things that you see us doing here. If you knew where I've been, if you knew where I've been, <laughs> you don't know my life. You see me from there, but if you knew my story, you would know. You would know why I stand up here and I sing and I shout the way I do. If you knew my story, if you knew how God protected me and preserved me and kept me from a life of total destruction. I ain't just a preacher boy up here. I'm telling you the truth. There's power in your praise and in the presence of God. And I don't care if you're a 5-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 50-year-old, an 80-year-old. You can experience it. You can experience in your life. You can experience the sense the presence of God is with you. I tell people the absence of joy and peace is an indication that sin could be crouching at your door. An absence of joy and a sense of peace. Confusion is always the work of the enemy. God doesn't live there. You're confused about your future. You're confused about a relationship. You're confused about a business deal. You're confused about where you should go to school. You're confused. That's not where God operates. God operates in that presence and that spirit of joy and of peace. And that's where He wants to operate in your life right now. Right now. Eyes closed. And you say, Pastor. I want that in my life. I want that sense of victory, that sense of joy, and that sense of peace before I leave here today. That's you. Could you just lift your hand right now? Come on, right now in this room. Is anyone in this room right now got your hand? Come on, I see that hand. Anyone else? Come on, anyone else right now? You want the joy. Come on, you want the sense of victory. Anyone else? I see that hand. Come on, is anyone else? Let's stand together this morning. We're going to declare the goodness of our God. I want to just pray over you today. I want to pray that God, you will go with God in that sense of joy and victory. The sense of shout. You won't lose your shout. You won't lose that sense of joy and gladness in your heart. That when you leave here and you go in your world tomorrow, wherever you're at, you can have that sense that God is with you. You know His presence. You know that He's going to give you victory. He gives you that confidence that you can live the way that He's created you to live. You can live His plan. Father, right now, for those who have come here today, God, I pray that your grace would be with them. We thank you, Lord, that we can be glad in you, that our hearts can be filled with a good theme, and we can rejoice in you, the God of our salvation. God, I thank you for these people that have come to this third service, and I pray that you will lift the lid of their spirits as they go from this place into the workplace tomorrow and to school. God, I pray when they go back to their homes and their relationships with their family, their children, the parents, I pray, God, there will be a great sense of your, of your presence and reality. That you're the God who gives victory in the moment. And this, God, moment is where your healing begins. Let your healing begin in this place. Let us take it from here, God, as we worship you. Thanks for listening to this message, Pursuits of Happiness with Lead Pastor Eugene Smith. For service times and more information about City Church Orlando, please visit our website anytime at orlandocitychurch.com or call 407-321-9600.